Hey, deserving listeners, I want to talk about sports injury and our culture in the United States, anyway, in which we groom and socialize and really pressure kids to excel in sports in such a way that might actually not be such a great idea. I have a special guest on the show to talk about it because I was at a at the Washington Association of Marriage and Family Therapy annual conference, and a student, uh, a former student of mine, was doing a poster presentation on this very topic, and she actually won the the award as the best poster at the conference. Uh, but prior to me even knowing that, I after hearing her presentation, I, I said, man, I got to get her on the podcast. So welcome to the show, Yol- Yolanda. Thank you. So, do you want to introduce yourself uh, to Podcast Land? Your, sure. Your, you know, where you're at and mm-hmm. your name and all that kind of stuff. Okay. Um, um, thanks for having me. I'm Yolanda Christensen, and I have my master's in organizational leadership from Seattle U, and I am about to complete in four weeks, hopefully, my uh, master's in marriage and family therapy, couples and family therapy from Antioch. Wow. Four yeah. weeks. Mm-hmm. So, you got all your internship hours and... Next Friday, I cross the 500-hour mark. Wow. So, yeah, very nice. excited. It's surreal. Congratulations. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah. Uh, when I was at your phase, or in four weeks, you know, when I finally was done and walked away from Antioch, I had a panic attack because of all this um, built-up tension that I had in my bones yeah. for the, you know, just all this, like... I need to perform well and I need to do everything right. And if I screw up, everything's going to fall apart. And then as soon as I graduated and got the diploma, all that tension just came out and manifested in a panic attack. <laughs> <laughs> so I have something to look forward to. Yeah. You're saying, okay. Yeah. Uh, I also uh, started jumping around my apartment and called a bunch of people that I knew that I just wanted to call and left voicemails and stuff and and saying how happy I was while I was jumping up and down in my apartment. Yeah. And for the next week or so, people would bump into me and they'd say, so I think I got a drunk phone call from you. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm like, oh, no, I was completely sober. No, that's euphoria. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, yeah. (laughs) Drunk on graduation. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, so pre-four-week congratulations to you, Yolanda. Thank you. Just at the stop, at the top, I want to say Yolanda was a star student in oh. the program. Thanks. She was um, – I observed her in family therapy class, and she definitely showed early talent, innate talent for talking and an innate ability to be a therapist. For those that I observe in class that don't have your innate ability, I know that they'll eventually get there, but I could tell you were far ahead of the average person. Oh, thanks. So yeah. it's, that always makes my job a lot easier because then I don't have to worry too much about your training. So uh, I'm, and I'm sure since internship, you've, you know, grown leaps and bounds as, as well. Well, you know, there's a huge advantage to being an older student in this environment, right? Yeah. Because I am a parent, I'm a spouse, I'm, um, I've am i had a previous career, so I have lots of different experiences to draw from that have facilitated looking at relational patterns in a lot of different contexts. And so it really paid off for me, you know, the timing to come into this program at this time in my life and have that to draw from. Right. Yeah. yeah. And that's something I often see are the second career students t- 
tend to have more confidence, tend to have more fun, I think, in the program because yeah. they're less worried about things. They they're, they take, uh, in, in general, a little bit more ownership of like, I want to do this. And yes. I, I want to, you know, like you uh, took intro to research, I assume. Yes. And, <laughs> and I'm guessing maybe McCall asked, hey, if anyone wants to do a poster at the national at the annual conference anyone want to do that because you can extend your assignment into that right yeah i mean honestly doing well in that class was the last thing i ever expected it it has never been my forte i do love understanding and learning about things but going through the formal process of researching something and putting it together in a uh, coherent way <laughs> for people to to grasp what you're getting after. Um, that class worked me over, and I was so proud of the product, but really didn't expect to do anything with it. But it kept showing up in the back of my mind, you know, because I took it last summer, so um, a year ago last summer. So when the poster opportunity came up, um, I pinged McCall and said, you know, what do you think about this subject? Because it's not necessarily something we would see maybe in the field of psychology and the way that we're working with it as marriage and family therapists or couples and family therapists. So, so, um, when she, she just kept encouraging me, like, you, you really need to do this and just try it. And I just ended with, it's better to, you know, go and fail than to never know how this is going to turn out. Well, as you realized it was well received and the topic was well received. I mean, what well, so let me let me let's let's get into it and, okay. uh, before we get into that stuff and, and and explain things. Um so what was your central thesis of of your poster? Central thesis was uh taking a look at elite adolescent athletes. So imagine um those kids who start sport very very young and are really picking that sport to be their main sport for a very long. So we call it single sport specialization. And uh, we're looking at what happens in their identity formation, both as an athletic identity and athlete's identity um, and adolescent identity, as we're understanding from Erickson in the developmental model. So when you look at that overlap, what does injury do to a child's identity if they're taken away from sport? And we're finding both confusion and loss. Right, and that our uh, clinical world and our social parenting world isn't prepared for those events. Correct, and kids suffer. As Correct, a result. right. So, so you have kids today in families. I don't know. It's probably a class thing as well, like a middle upper class. Oh, definitely middle class upper class phenomenon. Yes, where you have kids at the age of six or seven are starting to play soccer or baseball or softball or volleyball or basketball or football or uh, track maybe dance dance Mm -hmm. and skiing uh, yeah Yeah. ice skating Mm -hmm. and they early on there's this notion that is in the air with the kids and the parents and with the kids friends and the parents and the kids' parents, uh, or the kids' friends' parents. There's this sort of thing swirling around in the air now, more so in the past, uh, more so than the past, that says like, well, okay, seven-year-old really likes to dance, so got to get the good tutor, got to go year-round, 
got to start thinking about how we can get her into the elite all-star dance troupe for next year. Uh, there's awards at the end of the year. Got to compete for that. Let's see how she's doing in relation to other kids in that group. And then uh, gymnastics is another one we should mention. And then they go to middle school and they start actually start, you start seeing differentiation between talents. You know, at the age of seven, it's hard to tell who's really better. I mean, sometimes you can tell a little bit, but by the time you're in middle school, you're like, oh, that guy is far and above the other kids with basketball. Yes. You know, he's the guy who, who he, he's the, always the one dribbling the ball. He's the one. Th- you can tell he knows the court. He knows who to pass it to. He's got a mind for basketball. There's off-season training and, you know, again, tutoring and stuff. There's uh, f- mental, physical conditioning. You're watching NBA. You know, the parents are involved. Now, at this stage, it's like, well, Little Johnny's really into basketball, and he loves it. He's got the posters. He's you know he he got the Kobe Bryant uh, uh, posters. You know he he loves he loves basketball. He's super into it, and he gets a lot of self esteem from it. And it's this fun activity. And the parents go to these all weekend tournaments and stuff. And it's this you know it's it's it it feels innocent, I suppose. Yes, and, and in some ways it can be. Um, but then you go to high school, and this is, and this is when you really start getting into the realm of like, well, are you going to get a scholarship? Where no, not are you, but where are you going to get a exactly. scholarship? You exactly. Exactly. Which how how elite of a college team are you going to be hooked up with? Are yeah. you going to end up at a at a crappy junior college, or are you going to end up at a Division One situation? Right. And and everything's about that year round. Got you got the gear. You got the you got the the coaches, the 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 special coaches. The coaches are talking about that. You know, everything is geared toward. Got to get the good grades because if you don't have good grades, and you're not going to get the scholarship. You know, you need the grades and the performance. Oh, there's a recruiter coming. Got to really perform well at this game. You know, everything is like just all consuming around this. You have like week long tournament. You know, <laughs> uh, traveling and everything. And then there's an injury. Yes. So. In softball, you 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 know break in an arm, or you have you're a pitcher, and you like completely tweak your mm-hmm. pitching arm. Yep. Football, you have a um, a pinch nerve, or you you know break your ACL or mm-hmm. tear your ACL. Yeah. Uh, soccer, you have um, ACL, ACL, yeah, concussions, Achilles, yeah, obviously concussions. Mm-hmm. Well, the weird thing about concussions is that's. The typical concussion isn't going to take you out for the season. It'll take you out for a game. Yeah, no, it'll take you out for more than a game, especially yeah. in soccer. What you'll see is um, sometimes they'll go unrecognized, yeah. and then you have an evaluation, and you'll hear, you know, and they're doing a better job about this now, but you need to take two weeks off. Right. You know, well, when you're playing at that level, uh, even two weeks can be really detrimental right. to your emotional state because right. it, there's always somebody waiting to take your position. There's the fear that the coach won't see you as capable anymore, you know? Right. So now we get to second concussion and now it's like you need to take a month off right. because we really need to make sure we're not having, you know, long-term brain injury. Right. right. Okay. Well, that's interesting. I yeah. yeah. And that's good mm-hmm. for kids' brains. Yes. It's not great that they're having the concussion in the first place. No. And... Uh, but you know, tear an ACL—that's a whole season. You're, yes, you're gone for yes. you know the for you're probably 
looking at like a nine month recovery period or right. something. Right. Exactly know? right. And so, so then existential crisis for kid. Yes. Since since their de- since their personality was developing, their identity was developing, mm-hmm. their social system was developing, mm-hmm. their self esteem was developing. It's, yeah. It's primarily been on the foundation of this one sport and you're not your, your study wasn't like just sports in general it was like kids who like micro focus yes. on just one particular sport yeah and and then uh, uh everything falls apart and you're like well now what yeah you know? and i have to introduce one more component here that's okay. really important that uh about 20 years ago well i always make it too short it was in the 90 late 90s Malcolm Gladwell came out with his book about what mastery requires, Mm. which is the 10,000 hours or 10 years. And it was based on another Erickson's research. Um, And so his argument was basically that um, if we don't, if you don't get that time in, you don't truly master your sport. And I'm way oversimplifying what he said, but just for the sake of this discussion. So what happened about the same time is we started seeing a lot of junior academy clubs sprouting across the United States. And they were meant to attract kids at an earlier age than they already were, which is tended to be around 11. And now we're looking at eight, you know, so you come play junior soccer academy for eight, nine and 10 year olds. Now we've got families committing to these crazy schedules as well. And the whole family gets indoctrinated into that system of competition of, you know, sort of, this is my personal opinion, but the American way of competition, you know, um, I'm special, I, I've seen as special, and we're going to make me look special, and we're paying to play. Right. So we've really narrowed the field now. And so that's, if that starts at eight, and let's say injury happens at 16, now half of my life has been dedicated to this role. I am a forward on this soccer team, this is what I do. Right. And injury comes along, and there is a massive confusion about what do I do without this? I don't know anything else. Right. Right. So the pressure is you're on the sideline with your eight-year-old kid playing soccer and the parents are talking. That's what you do all game. Yes. It's like there's nothing else to do, especially when you're watching eight-year-olds play soccer. It's like (laughs) a swarm of, you know, every once in a while the ball pops out and then you're like, go, go. And then they all kind of fall down. Right. So so you pretty much just sit on the sideline and drink your secret wine out of the out of the <laughs> out of the coffee uh, mug and and talk with the other parents and the parents are like oh you know so do you got you know do you have Jenny in the in the what do you call it again exactly what, what's it junior called academy. junior academy yeah. junior junior academies yeah. i haven't heard that so you know so you know do you have Jenny in the junior academy and you're thinking huh i don't have Jenny do you think you know and Jenny and all our friends are going to the junior academy on the team and so it's like uh, you you know well uh, Jenny wants to do it. Uh, their, other parents are kind of pressuring me to do it. I don't want to. I don't want to give Jenny. I don't want to let her fall behind so that next year she's going to be not as good. Right. Uh, the coach probably wants Jenny to do uh, junior academy, uh, and so it, you know, where's the voice among that crowd that's like, well, let's create a more well-rounded child, yes. someone that isn't micro and you know invested in this in this one area yeah um you know maybe it's not for the best maybe it is but maybe it's not well you know so you can imagine working with a child in a 
counseling setting is that we've now need to access that emotional life to really talk about the fear and the threat and the being afraid of what's going to happen next. And what if I don't know what to do? What am I going to be? There's so much emotion wrapped up in that. And we have to help the child access that to start to integrate what's happened to even move forward. Yeah, right. Uh, so the th- the thing that I, 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 I that you uh, the idea you sparked in my mind when you were talking about that was, yeah, it makes total sense. When when we are playing sports, the the whole I uh, there's a major emotional coaching uh, you know element to it of like at least in this in the seventies and eighties when I was playing sports, it's like suck it up, you know. Yes. Yes. No pain, no gain. Uh, yeah, I know you don't want to run another lap, but. To excel, you got to push forward. Exactly. Just exactly. do it. Just do it. Exactly. Don't cry. Just do it. Um, and you know, to some extent, there's some wisdom to that of like inner strength, mm-hmm. um, pushing past your discomfort, um, being uh, dedicated, uh, getting reaping what you sow. Yes. That kind of stuff. But there's a side effect to that that when you actually do experience an injury. That there's a whole culture on the team, uh, even among the coaches, of push past it. Yeah, and don't don't complain. You know, make it happen. Exactly. Uh, you know, I remember uh, growing up. I, I had a a friend who actually he played uh, in high school football. He, um, he played both quarterback and str- uh, free or strong safety. I can't remember. Probably free safety. And. He broke his ribs in the middle of the game, <laughs> and his name was uh, Lutz, actually, mm-hmm. if I remember right, Lutz. And he was a year older than Bean, and he ended up actually playing baseball for UW. But he played the rest of the game, and I and w- and didn't complain. Wow. With with and if you've ever have you ever had a rib broken? Yeah. Yeah, it's super painful. Right. It's like it's not like. Well, really, anything that breaks in your body is going to be painful. But you know, when your ribs are broken, everything's connected to your ribs. Your breathing, your yeah. spine, yeah. your your arms kind of twist your ribs a little bit. Your sneezing, yeah, everything is connected. <laughs> yeah, you know, jostling, and of course, and the thing about quarterback and safety is you're you're involved in a lot of hits. You know, yeah, and, and so he played all the way through and. He was revered as like this, this true athlete. Exactly. You know? Exactly. Yeah. And, and and so in some instances of like, well, okay, you know, you you have a bruise on your arm and you push past it, right? You know, if if every bruise you 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 cry to your mommy, you're you're never going to do well in this sport and maybe not in life. You mm-hmm. need to figure out how to persevere and and deal with things. Gut it out. Yeah. 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 Um, but there's a threshold upon which uh, it 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 gets uh, excessive that notion. Yeah. Because if if you I know plenty of people who I've talked to about this sort of thing since you since I went to your poster presentation, it's been like on my mind, and I've been talking with people about it, including one of your classmates. Mm-hmm. And well, let's just talk about your classmate. I won't name her by name because I didn't ask her if I could talk about it. But she was an elite softball player. And she had, she broke her thumb in the middle of a game. And she, she was like, this was like senior year about to be, you know, um, 
recruited into uh, one of the top softball teams right. in the States, full ride, uh, scholarship, that mm-hmm. kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And she wanted to be pulled out of the game. And everyone, coaches, other players, and, and an inner voice in herself said, you can't do that. You have to, you have to persevere. And it was this massive traumatic moment for her because she was alone. Yeah. She was in pain. Yeah. She was confused. She felt neglected. She felt trapped. Mm-hmm. She felt uh, hurt physically and emotionally. She kind of checked out, uh, you know, dissociated in the moment to just kind of cope afterwards there there was a game the next day or maybe even later that there's a double header or something and and she was like i can't do this and and they're like you got to you know what are you talking about you know even our own parents i right. think were involved in that and because of this culture of suck it up you know tape it up suck ice it suck it up take a pain pill go you know and and it can be not just like kind of a bummer for people but legitimately traumatizing Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I have a loved one that inspired all of this for me Uh, in watching her just try to navigate what all of this means. Um, She had a number of knee injuries and it's been heartbreaking to watch her try to figure out who she is when you can see the team. Well, they, I don't think they mean to be rejecting. There is an isolation that automatically happens, you know, especially with long-term injuries. And, um, I think her... There's almost like this, you're injured, you're kind of a leper. Like, I don't want to get close to you because then I might get injured or something. Well, and there's this pity, right? And they don't want it that either. You know, it's just sort of wanting to focus on when you get back and when I return and when, you know, and... Like like the the Celtic player who broke his ankle. Did you hear about that? No. Uh, Like, first game, minute six broke his ankle and there's like full 90 degree break in, in his ankle and they have like you can hear the snap <laughs> of his of his of his bone and there's just been a huge um it's it's a big story cause, right. and a lot of the fellow players even on the other team were like oh my god like i'm so sorry for you and yes there's there's just a lot of uh what i would say to be empathy and stuff but but man, you know, what a bummer. He might not ever really recover from right, that. Right, right. I mean, he might, but but anyway. Well, just, just yesterday, uh, there's a site called The 18, which has to do with soccer. Uh, and Steve Zakawani, who was a really, he's a well-loved Sounders player that had to retire because of a very significant, significant injury that he sustained from a player on a team I shall not name, <laughs> a Sounders fan. Um, and he talked about what that was like for him to have to make the transition out of sport and when this is all he had identified with. And he goes through the history and he spoke the story I'm trying to tell about what that is like for people and to be so lost in... He had a lot of support around him and luckily the Sounders were incredibly good to him and supporting him through that. But that's not always the case. And we even see a gender issue among girls and boys sports and how injured players are supported in their equal communities that they're in certain sports, a favor is given to the male club um, in how they're financially supported because they tend to draw more scholarships, more money, more long term success. And 
um, I don't want to inflame this, but just it's important for people to pay attention to all the different contexts that are informing that player Mm -hmm. and how for adolescents, we need to pay more attention specifically because psychologically this they're in their development of understanding who they are. And if we put that with and, you know, Velcro it to athletic identity, we've got to be better at finding supports and informing clubs and helping people understand what's at risk. Right. And it's not that it's more important than older ages. It's just it's not there. Right. The things that I talk with parents about when we are having conversations around this or academics or other kinds of things is, is the, the, I say the phrase or the sentence or the question, would you rather have an elite athlete um, or a straight-A student – or no, no. <laughs> what do I say? <laughs> I say – would you rather have an elite athlete who's an asshole mm-hmm. or a super nice kid who is terrible at sports? Or would you would you ha- would you rather have a Harvard graduate who is top of, it, of his or her class and is emotionally a wreck or would you have or do you like someone who's emotionally stable and drops out of college? Which one would you rather have? Right. And they and, want both. Yeah. They <laughs> yeah. they struggle with it. Yeah. But then when we start talking about it, they're like, oh, right. Yeah. Well, of course I want the happy kid. Yes. Then I say, then we have to be careful about the emphasis that we put on particular things. Mm -hmm. And sports are great. And and like you said, you learn a lot from sports. I played sports my entire childhood. I played, you know, every sport I possibly could. That's what I did. And I was... You know what people, I guess, today would call an elite athlete. I was captain of, captain of my wrestling team. I was captain of my football team. Uh, I have awards actually on the wall on the other side related to um, my uh, scholar because I got pretty good grades too because I'm Asian. You know that sort of thing. Just uh, <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> and and I was you know uh, I played pretty uh, well in sports. And so I, I got awards for uh, being able to pull that off, I guess. Yeah. And, and um, I completely understand that, that whole culture, but it was different when we were kids, right? It wasn't there. There definitely was, I definitely felt that pressure. Yeah. But when I look at kids today, I'm like, oh my God, like that's way more. Yeah. Um, I mean, I definitely, when I was playing football, particularly later in life, I mean, just as an example, the only reason why I even wrestled was because I was told by everybody that I needed to do something on the offseason of football that related to football. And wrestling was deemed as related because it had to do with strength and balance and discipline and conditioning. And by being a good wrestler, you could actually enhance your ability to play football. And so that's, I didn't, I wasn't interested in wrestling. I mm-hmm. wasn't like, Ooh, I want to, I want to be, I want to wrestle. It was like, this is going to help you with your football career. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so I dedicated like, you know, a, a third of my life every year to this other sport just because I wanted to be better at this other sport. Right. You right. Know? So, so I get all that. And I definitely remember being told and actually realizing for myself that uh, you can learn a lot about life by playing sports. Absolutely. There's a lot of good things. Team uh, to this day, um, I I hate doing things by myself. I mean, I, I I'm, I'll I'll do things by myself uh, if if I have to, 
But I love being part of a team. Yeah. I like having colleagues. I like having, you know, like the, with this podcast, I could conceivably just do this all by myself. But I like talking with other people. I like Umberto being part of it. Yeah. And it just feels better to have like a team. Right. You know, at Antioch, we have, you know, several faculty members and everything. I like that team atmosphere. Mm-hmm. And, and I think I got that from playing so many team sports as a kid. Makes total sense. Yeah. Um. Also, the the notion of dedicating yourself to something and seeing it through, yes, and not giving up, and knowing that there's a that no pain, no gain. You know, I think all these are are actually really wonderful um, uh, things to learn. How to deal with frustration? I mean, there were times when I wanted to throttle people, you know, on the other team or even my own teammates, for that matter. And you have to learn how to, you know, deal with that, how to be like, okay. Emotion regulation. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and how to be on your own, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. I was in this, when I think about it, the first year I played football, I was in the sixth grade. And that's pretty young. Yeah. You know, you're 10, 11 years old or something, 12-ish. And I was on the football field by myself, had, and it was my first year, didn't really know what, what I was doing. And there were some scary moments. You know, there's a lot of violence in, in football. There's a lot of confusion. The plays are kind of complicated. And I have to imagine that I grew a lot through that experience. It was just like, okay, I'm, you know, people are watching me. I have a job to do. How am I going to do that? Yeah. And I kind of, I'm scared and I want to run away, but I'm not going to. And then after the game and after the season, feeling so much better about myself yes. in terms of what I accomplished. Yes. I mean, uh, just a side note, uh, it must be internalized because so many years later, I had a dream the other night in which I was wearing my football jersey. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it wasn't even my older football jersey. It was my freshman football jersey, which is kind of weird, which is also weird that I can remember my freshman football jersey. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But, you know, my so much of my development was was in that space. Um, But I never personally felt pressured to get a scholarship. I definitely felt pressured to excel mm-hmm. and to be the best you could be. And, and I think it was probably a little excessive when I was growing up. Were you playing club sports, though, separate from high school? No, they didn't have that. Yeah. See, and that's that's the, that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Now we have, so we have now another community where you are now even, you know, this pay to play environment, right? So now it's even more elite because to get into it, now we have to resource people and who has resources, right? So you're bringing up another topic with when you joked about being Asian, you know, there, there is a very serious issue too. There's a show on Netflix called Last Chance You. Have you seen that at all? And it does such a great job of showing the basically quote unquote, life and death situation sometimes for some of these kids, because this is all they have. Football is it. And if they don't figure out how to get their grades up and get their behaviors under control and don't get onto a team somewhere that's a division one, like they were, they usually have been kicked off and this school kind of rehabs them and puts them back out in the market, you know, mm-hmm. well, not all of them make it right. And then you hear about them on the news later and they've committed murder or they've got caught, do, just got caught up in something else because there's no choices, right? you know? So th- this topic that I brought up could go a lot of different places and what it touches. Yeah. I think what I love about systems, again, and looking at through it 
for me, what gets me excited is when we can bridge things together that people didn't see as connected before Mm. and look at the way that other fields can inform helping us understand what we need to learn to to support people, you know, and I don't think we do enough of that. I don't think we reach out and say, what is beyond this context that can really help us support who we need to be helping. And in this case, you know, I, I think you're telling the story of someone who really got all the value of what sports really is supposed to help do, you know, yeah. and this is why we want our kids in it. I'm talking about a very low percentage of people, but that low percentage are the people that are having a lot of suicidal ideation, yeah. deep depression and anxiety, getting out. If they make it through that, they get into relationships and those things still show up and we haven't addressed what happened. We haven't addressed the trauma. We haven't addressed the integration. We haven't addressed what surrounds that and how the family responded because it's not just the child who grieves, the whole family grieves, right? And there's a lot of parents I know who weren't the pushers. They weren't the sideline yellers. They didn't want the child to keep going. The, the injury scared the crap out of them, you know? Yeah. But the child at that point, again, with this adolescent development at that age, they're individuating and they want to choose that and they don't want to let go either of the one thing that they knew that they could do, you know? Yeah. And so I, I, I was, as I'm expanding this study and interviewing more and more kids, I'm really these. There's such interesting themes coming up about oh, why you're expanding the study. I am. You're taking it to another level. I'm taking it to another level. Well, yeah. You, you really like academia. <laughs> you're almost done with this the degree, and you're extending your academic pursuits. I commend that. Well, thank you. It, you know, and I wouldn't have if there wasn't such positive feedback that people loved it so much. I didn't yeah. think that would happen. Well, and I'm guessing you know you let you tell me about the lit review. There's a it's a largely ignored topic, particularly as you were saying, in terms of systemic uh, approaches. Absolutely. To this. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think most the the most common response I get is, "Well, isn't this sports psychology?" And it's not. It it this is a look at adolescent development. Yeah, I've never understood. Yeah. I've never understood that. It's like, uh, it you know, it'd be like saying, um, if you were talking with families about sexual development or something Mm -hmm. it's like well isn't that sex therapy it's like um i guess (laughs) but also when we have clients in our office and it's a topic yeah we talk about it right we don't go like oh stop talking about sports because that's sports psychology yeah yeah and there's certainly a ton to learn from sports psychology that will inform this right that's again the part i love melding together yeah um i'm a passionate fan of sports i was an adult athlete not a child athlete so i have a whole nother lens that i'm looking through and and what gets lost in not growing up playing sports as well what'd you play uh, I I play soccer now. Okay. Yeah, and so I I have a lot of passion about keeping people protected in every way, in the whole person kind of way. If we're going to start them that young, we got it. We got to protect them. You know. Right. We have to think about the big picture. Yeah. We have to provide support when that injury happens. There has to be uh, mindfulness from parents and coaches and communities around injury and. Uh, the mental status of somebody as they go through this. Uh, The people I've talked to, like you say, there's these long-term effects, have PTSD symptoms that last for 10, 20 years. Yes. And it's no joke. It's not Mm -hmm. just like, oh, yeah, I kind of had a bad year. Right. No, it's like for, for potentially the rest of their life, they mistrust authority. 
They mistrust physical activity. They mistrust their body. Yeah. They mistrust medical professionals. They mistrust their friends. You know, it, it's an attachment disruption in a lot of ways. Absolutely. It's funny that you bring that up because I one of the things I want to really take a look at is using EFT as the therapeutic tool in working with uh, and just test what that might look like because of the emotion access. Mm. You know, I, I think it's an it's a nice fit, but we'll see. But the the attachment rupture, I don't I can't speak as an expert in attachment science. But the way that I like to think about it is we're not just in relationship with other people, we're relationship with other experiences. And when you get injured, that's the relationship now that we're dealing with, you know, and that this sport has betrayed me, my body has betrayed me, my, Mm. you know, and so if you start looking at the way that those things get injured and the repairs that are needed, I think we have a little bit better tool than just saying, um, you just need to get through that surgery. You just need to heal and get back on that field. You know, right. it doesn't work that way. Yeah, because what if it doesn't work? Right. And, and we haven't even talked about the reality that some people don't get don't get scholarships. Do you know what percentage of people actually get scholarships that play high school sports? No, I don't. One percent. Wow. One percent that right. actually go to Division One. Okay. okay. So I, I, let me clarify that. How, how many get scholarships? Period. I I don't know, yeah, but I can't imagine it's that much more than that. No, but it, but the important, the major thing about that is if you told that to parents when they're putting their eight year old into a program, and to keep that in mind, I think that'd be a really helpful factor. Uh, I'm fairly sure they'd say, "Well, my kid is special, and that my kid will be that one." <laughs> yeah, that's true. But yeah. at least we're starting to offer some, you know. Evidence that <laughs> it's probably unlikely. Yeah. Now, will they get a scholarship in general? Maybe. As you get into these elite clubs, it's a pretty high percentage that go okay. and get some kind of um, scholarship. Yeah. It's not might not be a full ride. It might be partial. You know. Right. And there's a lot of there's a lot of like I said, junior colleges and and um, non Division one yeah. uh, programs that will offer scholarships as well. Yeah. Um, this subject, by the way, is. Yeah. Uh, much more researched at the NCAA level and, of course, in professional sports. And you'll see a lot more data about it, but it still doesn't touch on the psychological impact. It right. it, it mentions suicidal ideation. It mentions – it even talks about suicide. Um, talks about anxiety and depression, but kind of just to give it attention and not a lot of study. So we, we've got a big opportunity here to take this a lot farther. Right. Interesting. So the Lit Review revealed that – there isn't enough attention on the emotion side. There isn't enough attention on the teenage exactly. child side. Yes. And there definitely isn't enough attention on the systemic side. Right. On, on how the whole system, when we say systemic, we're talking mainly about family, but also about the community and the coaches and the, and the and, culture and the culture yep. and how all that plays a role. And there probably definitely isn't enough attention on how do we fix it. Right. Uh, because again, as you brought up Americanism, there you know the notion of how about we pull back on the pressure? How about we pull back on the <laughs> emphasis on excelling? How about we pull back on the emphasis on winning? So un-American of yeah. you. Yeah. How, how about we pull back on the necessity of even education? Because that's a whole other thing. Because for some people, they might be of a financial situation in their family that their only way to get a college education is through a scholarship. Absolutely. And so they're looking at a situation where 
they're of a mindset of, unless I go to a, a major university, I'm going to be a failure as a human being, which is just not empirically true. Absolutely. I mean, definitely there are statistics that increase your likelihood of, of making more money. But in terms of having a, a viable career that you enjoy, yeah. there's a lot of paths to that. Right. And if, if you can't get into uh, one of the major universities, you know, junior college, vocational schools, uh, going part time and, and working, and t- you know maybe getting the four year degree over eight years yeah. or something, and so there's a lot of options to people that we don't tend to privilege when we talk about these things, right? And, um, so yeah, it, it's it's just interesting. I, I think that if we went back to the '70s and and told people in the '70s how focused we would be on this kind of stuff in 2017. I think all those uh, sort of 28-year-old hippie parents would would be shocked because things were heading in a direction in the 70s uh, that, where it was more love, more understanding, more humanistic, more uh, balance of values and rejection of culture in terms of the conforming and all that kind of stuff. Um, whereas today, it's like, we're even in some ways more militant with our children, you know, less. Uh, in, I mean, we're better in some ways because we're not like beating our kids as much as we, we used to be. But in some ways, it's just like the amount of academic and sports uh, pressure that I think kids are going through is just not uh, necessary for well-being. No, it's not. And, you know, um, I, I get a little crunchy around parent blaming because <laughs> I, you know, I think we overdo it yeah. and I think people are just trying to do the best they can. Totally. You know, and no, I'm not blaming parents. I'm blaming no, but society. What, I'm, what I'm about to say is parent blaming. <laughs> so oh, just okay. so I'm prefacing all this with a little bit of, even if we don't know what we don't know, our response to that seventies kind of swing, the pendulum swung to that you are special. Yeah. And a lot of entitlement got created out of that. And a lot of, Oh, I am special. So I we've we missed the boat on teaching kids resilience yeah. in a way that we saw twenty years ago. Yeah. You know, and so I, I think people are gonna there's gonna be some blowback about that, but that's just what I notice yeah. and what I'm observing in kids that are playing now. Yeah, let's take a break, and when we get back, let's continue the conversation. What do you say? Sure. All right, we're back from the break. If you haven't become a patron of the podcast, do so by going to patreon.com. When you become a patron of the podcast by signing up with Patreon.com, you get access to all of our exclusive patron-only episodes, and you also don't have to listen to many of the commercials. You're a patron of the podcast, aren't you, I am. I am. (laughs) I always feel sort of funny having students being patrons of the podcast, but uh, I guess that's just the way that it is. I hate commercials. (laughs) I do, too. (laughs) I do, too. I mean, to me, that's like a major selling point. Yes. It's like no commercials. But plus... Arguably, our best episodes are for patrons only. You yeah, know what I mean, exactly. Yeah. So, okay. Um, so we're back talking about this. I, I just want to outwardly process because you've got me thinking about my own sports life, and I, I just, I just want to, I, I just want to explore the moments, the whys in the road for me. Yeah. So my my sophomore year in in high school. It became known to the football community anyway that I was 
like an elite football player. Um, it actually it starts with an injury. So I was on the I was on the on the sophomore team, and uh, me and another guy were selected to suit up for the varsity football game. So we were the only sophomores suited up, and we played like special teams, like kickoff and that kind of stuff. And we were so excited, you know, under the big Friday night lights, all the kids in the in the stands and everything. And football, you know, was kind of a big deal in Issaquah. And so it was just I was an instant star in school. All the sophomore I there were there were athletes who I really looked up to who just for whatever reason didn't get bumped up to varsity, who after the games are just like, Oh my god, I saw you and it was so awesome mm-hmm. and I'm just like, Wow, like this it's like a celebrity, yeah. you know? And so early in my high school years, it was like, well, obviously you're going to think about how good you'll be at your junior year and think about how good you'll be in your senior year. That exactly. was always the thought. Of, yeah. And you've got to, in between the seasons, you've got to hit the weights, you've got to hit the conditioning, you've you got to hit summer camp, you've got to do all that kind of stuff, and you've got to watch tapes, and you've got to blah, blah, blah. And the idea was, is like, if you're this good as a sophomore, think about how, and then as a sophomore, what happened was the, um, the, I played linebacker mainly, middle linebacker and the starting linebacker had a massive, not a, like a, like a mid-level concussion Mm -hmm. in which he was drunk. Have you ever seen someone have a concussion where they're, they're drunk? Yeah. And he was laughing and making all these like, that's what she said kind of jokes and stuff. And it was just like really bizarre because we're just like. Man, but but at the time, it's just kind of funny. Mm-hmm. Everyone's just kind of laughing. He gets pulled from the game, and we're watching him on the bench, and, and he just sits on the bench. No, no, you know, physician looks him over. No pulling. Of course, he's just he has he yeah. just has a massive concussion, mm-hmm. and everyone just kind of laughs. Like, oh, isn't it funny how he had his bell rung? Mm-hmm. Which happened to me multiple times too. Which makes me worry. It's like, am I going to be one of those guys that develops like some kind CTE. of CTE? Yeah, yeah, some kind of. I hope you know, not. Horribleness yeah. when I'm later in life. Yeah. Because not only in sports that I have a bunch of concussions, but just living life as a child. Uh-huh. I fell off of. I fell out of trees. I fell off of tables. You know. Yeah. Uh, slip and slide concussion one time, but anyway. So there's a that. slip and slide concussion. Did you hit a tree or something? At no. The end? What I did was have you remember slip and slide? Absolutely. When you know the pri- the first thing you think about doing is running at the slip and slide and then falling on your butt. Uh huh. But what that does is your butt instantly slides out from under you, and like a pendulum, uh, your, your head comes slamming onto the ground. So it's a, it's a whiplash as well as yeah. a concussion. Yeah. So, so that happened to me, and I had one of those concussions where I had like a 10-minute dream in the span of like five seconds. Like I, I was knocked out, and, and then I woke up, and you know my friends are over me going, Kirk, wake up. And, and I was like, how long was I out? Mm-hmm. And they're like, five seconds, and I was like, I just had like 10 minutes of dreams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, I, and again, no doctor. I probably didn't even tell my parents. I probably was just like, ah, you know, moving on in life. <laughs> and that, that happened frequently. Yeah. Anyway, the point is <laughs> this guy gets pulled and they start calling out for the second string guy. Mm-hmm. Um, they're like, you know, hey, you know, blah, blah, blah. 
and I can hear the second string guy being called, and then and the second string guy is standing right next to me, but I didn't know he was the second string guy. Okay. And I'm looking at him, and I'm like, I think maybe someone's calling your name. I'm not sure. Because we were, if you were sophomores, you were like on the far end of the line. Right. Very far from the coaches. There was no need for you to be next to the coaches. Mm-hmm. And then I hear the coach get frustrated, and then he starts calling my name because I was third string. Okay. So then I go into the game, and then I did well enough that I ended up st- ended up starting as a sophomore. Mm-hmm. Anyway, my point is is that football was a big freaking deal to me in yeah. high school. And when I was a senior, I had a very I had a very conflicted relationship with football mm-hmm. because on one hand it was my entire life and a huge part of my identity. Yeah. And I was expected to do really well. But the problem was, was we had a new head coach our senior year. So in some ways, I had to start from scratch with this new coach. And, and he, what, he had a son who was a year younger than me. And so he knew, this, this head coach knew his son and all of his friends. Yeah. And didn't know who I was. Right. And so... and. And because I was captain of the football team uh, during summer uh, three a day practices, there was there was grumblings about this new coach. You know, the senior class was kind of like, you know, who is this guy? And he seems to be kind of preferring the juniors. And and there was he this new coach wasn't doing a great job, sort of winning us over. Mm-hmm. And so, as captain of the football team, I felt like, and I was arrogant, seventeen year old, and so I start talking shit about the new coach. You know, I start, you know, just speaking my mind, you know, and, and, and blah, blah, blah. And the coach heard about it mm. and decided to make an example of me or something <laughs> and chewed me out in front of the entire team. And I took it because what am I going to do? Right. And then he didn't start me. Mm. He, I didn't start mm-hmm. as a senior mm-hmm. in the first game. Yeah. And not only did I not start, but we had, th- it, we had a new defensive uh, formation that had three middle linebackers. As a, normally, we just had two. And you didn't even get to be one of those. I didn't even get to be one yeah. of those. Yeah, making an example of it for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and there were guys in the game that I thought, you know, they don't, you know, they're fine. They're good kids, but they're newer. They don't really understand how to play the position. And, mm-hmm. and it was a huge drama, basically, yeah, right. in my family, in the community among my friends uh people came to the game it's like Kurt, you weren't starting you were i was benched it was bizarre mm-hmm. and i think that kind of planted the seed in my head of just like this is bullshit you know and like do i really care that much about a game that isn't going to be fair to me now looking back maybe he was completely justified in benching me since i was being a dick mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but but it but it it really it planted the seed uh Second game I started because mm-hmm. he made his point, I guess. Yeah, and um, then midway through the season, I got, I got, I, I, I'm, I still have a broken bone in my back actually mm-hmm. um, that that is starting to flare up in my old age. 
Um, I have a like a slipped disc in my jaw that some when I bite into a big hamburger, sometimes that slips out and my jaw bone ends up it, it crashes into my skull. And there's a nerve and a vessel in there that just like my entire left side of my face just becomes like numb with pain. It's like you must really want that burger if that's what you have to go through. Yeah, oh I, I'll still power through that burger. I'll still power you through that. You get it out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no pain, no gain. That's right. <laughs> um, but uh, I see I, I have other injuries, too. But um, like, I don't know if you can see all the scars on my hand right here. Mm-hmm. Um, like I had massive surgery on my on my arm. Um, so, so what uh, was happening to you mentally and psychologically when all this was happening? Right. So, so senior year, I have a, I had a pinched nerve, Mm -hmm. um, which is basically a spine injury in which, uh, you have shooting pain down one arm Mm -hmm. because your, your nerve is, you know, impacted. yeah. Yeah. And I, it was so painful that practice was really hard for me to do. Yeah. And, and I was like, and we were coming up to a game with uh, a team that we were definitely going to beat. And so I was like, could I just sit out this game? Cause I want to prepare for the end of the season. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the, and the, this coach who I had a conflicted relationship with said, okay, sure. And then he kind of used that opportunity to, to not start me like in the next game too. And at that point, so, it, so up until that point, emotionally, I'm like, there's a chance that I might play in college. Mm-hmm. I, I had gone to the UW recruitment um, camp. I had, um, you know, thought about scholarship and that kind of thing. But I was, honestly, I was, because of the 80s and it wasn't so much of a pressure, I, I was kind of ambivalent about the whole thing. Yeah. But when that happened and I had this this conflict with the coach, which I don't think I've ever really articulated in this way. Mm-hmm. I was like, fuck this shit. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> and very quickly, I was like, you know what? I'm kind of done with with not only sports, but not only football, but sports in general. Mm-hmm. And I'll never forget that final game of football in November of 1988. And I walked off the field, and I I had a rejoicing feeling of, of freedom, huh. of... I don't have to ever fucking work out for the rest of my life. Uh-huh. I don't have to lift another weight. I don't have to run another lap. I don't have to do another drill. I don't have to play another game in which I'm terrified, you know, beforehand of whether or not I'm going to perform well enough. I don't have to endure another coach screaming at me. I don't have to, you know, uh, jump in the mud on a cold November morning. Mm-hmm. I, I don't have to do any of that unless I want to. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm now free, and, right. and I've and I've never looked back. Uh-huh. In college, I would hang out and we would play like pickup sports and football and basketball and stuff. And I would half-ass it because I'm just like I refuse to try. Give just, it your all. I just want to. Yeah. I just want to have fun. Yeah. And in college, I remember my college friends. I told them that I played football, and they're like, "You played football?" Mm-hmm. Like I, I just remember just massive identity shift mm-hmm. after that point mm-hmm. of just like, um, I was I was no longer that person anymore. Yeah. And and for me in my life, I felt like it it was a good transition that I think I made or a yeah. necessary one or something. So what I hear you talking about though, is the autonomy of choice. I mean, it, it instead of the tyranny, you know, because right. you, you got the opportunity to say, no, I'm leaving you. 
right. you know, and f- for all that was going on, that that's a great reflection. You know, I think when injury interrupts that process, you're always wondering what could have been. And that includes me deciding I'm going to leave this fucking sport, right? And so it's, it's, um, sorry, didn't mean to swear like that. <laughs> it, it just, but just, I think that's, but people want that kind of, chance to just finish it out and see how it ends and then that hangs out there so the what could have been becomes the interrupter you know it's like getting suspended in the past because i can't move through it until i know what this was going to look like and there's that's where that grief you know they say depression and anxiety but it's it's really important to look at it as grief right you know and that loss that's happened yeah i definitely had that grief and loss, I remember that now that you bring it up. Mm-hmm. I, and I think I was confused by it. Yeah. I think I was like, well, wait, I, I should feel better um, because I'm I'm free now and yeah. I don't have to condition anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, But yeah, I definitely felt uh, an identity loss of like, well, you know, who am I? Yeah. That, but I think that the nice thing was because of my family and because of my community and my friends, because most of my friends were not elite athletes. Mm-hmm. They might have, they played sports, but they weren't into it as much as I was. And so I could sort of fall into them and their group and feel like I had an identity with them that didn't revolve around sports. You know, your, your research looked at and is going to look at people who might not have that luxury. Right. Where all their friends are have the, have the single-minded goal of getting scholarships. Yep. And, you know. and we're not even talking about people who – manage to get scholarships and then uh, they graduate from college and they don't go into pros, Mm -hmm. you know, because is there a pro softball league? Not that I know of. Right. So, or at least can't be that lucrative, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And so uh, maybe coaching or something. And so what happens then? It's like you're, since age eight, your life has been solely focused on this one sport and then you graduate from college and there isn't really even a next option Mm -hmm. for you. Yeah. Or Unless you're going into sports psychology or sports management or something along the administrative side. Which is different. You know, it's not, it's a different angle at it. Yeah. Um, But, um but yeah, I do remember feeling some some of that loss for sure. Yeah. But the other, I think, protective factor for me, and maybe your literature review and research is going to uh, look at this, is that I had other identities. I wasn't just a. I was definitely a jock. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but I had other, other identities, yeah, especially exactly. some that were emerging in my late high school. I mm-hmm. started getting into music, and I started. I was obsessed with writing music and, yeah. and recording and stuff. Yeah. And so I think I started to feel like more of an artist than a football player. Right. And whether or not that's justified or not, you know, I definitely felt, you know, that in terms of myself. Well, that's the key part is that you felt it. And that's what you got you through some of those other experiences. I had my academics. I I actually felt like I was a good Mm -hmm. student. Mm -hmm. I felt like I was, um, I had friends and I had, you know, I had other things that, that didn't have anything to do with football. And so when football went away, it, it didn't completely pull the rug out from underneath. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting to hear that story from the standpoint of the influence the coach had on you. The second one. Yeah. Because, you know, I, I have one person in mind, particularly that, um, this family member of mine that, uh, the coach that she had was very, they were very close. And this person was very supportive. And I would say atypical of the coaches that we've been around, you know, um, very thoughtful, very concerned, very, and really was looking forward to um, uh, getting back to playing for him, you know, well, 
the coaching switched when she was when it was time to come back after the first injury. And it had a massive impact on her return and how she experienced the return to play, not being what she'd imagined, and then having to work through that after already having to overcome this massive injury, you know, and it was a negative experience, a very negative experience on top of that. So there's I think coaches have the greatest influence Mm -hmm. in what we can do. And also sort of the psycho ed part of this, this is where I think we need to work. It's not just at the club level, it's getting after coaches and and expanding the thinking about what does it mean to be a whole player, you know, and I, I do know those conversations are out there, they're actually published, you know, but um, not again, at this level. Yeah, I had what I guess you, I had many football coaches over the years, but I can think of three main ones. Uh, Tom Collins, I'll name, I'm actually friends with him on Facebook and, and he ended up, uh, uh, coaching at the high school level at at Skyline actually, Mm -hmm. which is one of the major football, uh, clubs in the area, but he was a great guy and he was my, my pre high school football coach. Mm -hmm. And there are things I remember him saying to me, as a coach that I still think about today yep. lessons I've learned and, and the relationship I had with him. He was, he was such a great, warm, caring, um, encouraging guy. Yeah. And, and I, and I really had the sense, I might even cry thinking about it, but mm-hmm. I really had the sense that he liked me. Too, See, that's you know? the, what I'm talking about yeah. that when, when it emotes that kind of that connection, yeah. that's what other people don't have the experience of that. Don't play sport. Right. right. That, and it's, they might have another context, but that has such a impact on you still to this day. Right. That's important. I, I don't think people appreciate that enough. Right. The influence they're having. Yeah, I mean the because of that. Con- I don't. Again, I don't think I've ever really talked about it. So I thank you, Yolanda, for kind of evoking this for me. Is when I was young, the the fear of being on the field, yeah, and the, uh, the trials and tribulations of every play, and to have a coach who I could. He had such a loud voice from the sideline. <laughs> that I could hear him calling to me, you know, and literally saying, Honda, nice play, or mm-hmm. Honda, get up, you know, or, you know, I just mm-hmm. remember that his voice and, and the encouragement of just like, okay, he's watching me and, yeah. and I, I'm, I'm supported yeah, and he's on my side, mm-hmm. and, you know, and mm-hmm. I made a mistake, but he's, you know, he's, I mean, just, you know, when you think about, again, the, the lessons you learn at sports, it's like, the amount of mistakes you make in a typical game and the amount of wonderful things that you do in a typical game, yeah. the amount of times you want to give up in a particular, yeah. the amount of times you have to regulate your emotions, the amount of times you have to encourage your fellow players. The amount, I mean, the amount of events you know that happen in a game yeah. that unless you played sports, you might not ever do in your life. You know, the, the ability to look at a a guy who just fumbled and say like, Hey man, you know, we're in this and it happens. And and then he's just like, Oh, thanks. You know, like, uh, it's, it's like being at war or something. It's, it's like, you know, and maybe that's even why we play sports in the first place, Mm -hmm. but, (laughs) but, uh, um, but yeah. So, so what, do you plan on doing anything clinically with this knowledge? Yeah. So, um, because of the, conference, honestly, I I learned how much I really do care about this deeply. And as I talked about it, it just lit me up, you know, and so 
I decided to go back to the IRB application acts for an extension so that I could interview more people. And so the the original qualitative study had one interview uh, just to get a taste of what that might offer. And so I'm expanding it to 10. And I have to have that done by March. And my hope is to uh, look at some other conferences where I can bring this forward and start looking at models of application and focus my own clinical practice on working with injured athletes. Yeah. And um, we'll see what that brings, you know, got to yeah. start somewhere. Yeah. yeah. Where, where are you going to practice? In West Seattle. West Seattle. Yeah. And how can you market yourself to families in this way? Well, I think that um, because of the connections I've had just from my own family, my children participating in sports, I have a, lot, a good network. And I'm just going to start there of putting the word out. And then I thought I would connect with um, physicians, <laughs> surgeons, you know, um, PT clinics, you know, just kind of go out and start talking to people, maybe even attending some um, sports conferences, oh. and just see who's there, you know, who's talking about this that I, you know, I'm since I'm just starting to put the feelers out. I think I need to build that network. Yeah. And so, yeah. And you're going to offer family therapy yes. for kids who are uh, on the track for elite athleticism. I think any athlete, I think I'm just putting it out there as um, going beyond. There's plenty of kids who don't play at the elite level who identify as an athlete right. and see this as a potential yeah. for their future and for all the reasons that you've already um, detailed and what it did for you, yeah. you know, whether they go to college or not, but that I think that injury will reflect a lot on how the family functions, you yeah. know, and it's an opportunity. If that's what brings them in, it gives me the chance to work with the family. So you're going to market yourself to athletes who get injured. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Because the idea, if I'm just as a suggestion mm -hmm. is to market yourself towards families of athletes in general, yeah. in, including injury. Yeah. You know? um, how, how are you going to, what's the elevator pitch to these people? You know, how, oh, you're really putting me on the spot now. Um, <laughs> I, I'm going to say, I don't know yet. Yeah. I, I think I want to see how some of this unfolds over the next few months. Yeah. Um, I'm not planning to launch until February, okay. um, but it probably will look something like, um, what does healing look like, okay. you know, and just put the little teaser out there of there's a lot we can do. Yeah. You know, it's not just about the physical healing. Yeah. 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 I, I think an interesting, and again, this is just my layman's evaluation of your situation as a marketer. I think the, the pitch Ha, the the considerations are you how do you appeal to people and how do you um account for their preferences because if you if you say something like uh and you, this isn't what you're saying but if you say something like um I want to help families to de-emphasize sports. <laughs> yeah, know, I probably not, wouldn't say that. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's not going to appeal to them, right, you know. Right. And that isn't your goal anyway. No. But I mean, it's a part of the question, you yeah. know, like are we uh, emphasizing things in a balanced way? Yeah. But but the appeal might have to even play into some cultural problems like uh, you know, have have a kid, do you have a kid who in sports? Well, I'm a family therapist who works with families to enhance children's uh, enjoyment and performance in sports, or mm -hmm. some, I don't know, mm -hmm. some some kind of 
it could be interpreted as, ooh, a family therapist to help us even work even better to help our kid excel even more in sports. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, which might get them in the door and then um, you explore that with yeah. them. And, and maybe it will improve their performance, but really the overall goal is the well-being of everybody yeah, and the resiliency of everybody. Definitely. And one of the things I learned from some of the interviews I've done um, in talking to the parents is I heard over and over again, we just didn't know where to go. Huh. We just didn't know because they were looking to the club to give them resources, uh, you know, and after the injury, after the injury or looking to the surgeon to give them resources. And they would get, you know, names of people who were going to help the return to play, but not that during the injury. And so that's where I think that's also the opportunity. Right. Yeah. So networking with surgeons, yes. with PTs, yeah. with coaches, with um, maybe schools, I guess. Mm -hmm. Uh, might bear fruit. Yes, exactly. Because uh, I'm guessing, based on what you're saying, that these people want to provide a resource, yeah. but just don't know who to who to refer. Yeah, I, I don't know that we've really named what this is as a area of yeah. concern. Which is you know? bizarre when you think about it yes. because of how many people are involved in it. Exactly, and it just continues to grow, too. Yeah. So the opportunity is definitely there. Yeah, I I blame us and our industry for basically ignoring the reality of family life mm -hmm. <laughs> in some yeah. ways. Yeah, because uh, traditionally we have we we don't think about this sort of thing because right. it's maybe more of an issue in the last twenty to thirty years, and it takes a long time for psychotherapy to kind of adjust to the reality of yeah. Things. And and again, this notion of like, well, isn't that sports psychology? Yeah, which is just a really stupid thing to think. Um, Parts of it are. But not what I'm after. But I don't yeah. even know what that means, you right. know, because it's like, again, as I said, if a, if a family is coming in and that's what their issue is, then as a family therapist, we need to be able to be prepared to talk about that. Yeah. It, it, in a way, it's almost a cultural competency. Absolutely. Um, we haven't even talked about uh, other uh, uh, sort of slice of the pie here, which is I... I have I've talked with a number of uh, teenage African American kids who are hell bent on playing in the NBA, yep. and the the it's a different uh, vibe that they have, right? Because it's not they're not in the elite um, or the the what do you call them the clubs, the pay to play environment, the pay to play. Yeah. They, they they can't afford that, mm -hmm. so they're they're doing a lot of pickup basketball at at the corner elementary school with their with their friends right and when i talk with them uh for some other issue like they got in trouble for smoking pot or they got in trouble for uh, running away from home or something and we're talking about their career and their life and they're like well i don't really need to do well in school because i'm going to play in the nba right and the thing about the nba is you can play you don't have to you don't need a college degree you can you can go in at 19 you know mm -hmm. you, you, you might have to go to college to uh, I don't know how recruiting works these days, but uh, a lot of a lot of guys will go to college and get picked up right away because because right. they're so good. Right. And there's this very wishful thinking on behalf of a lot of these kids. Mm -hmm. And but uh, it's also hope, right? That's how we keep that hopefulness out there, yeah. which is great. Yeah. And they feel confidence in mm -hmm. their ability to to play basketball, which right. I you know wouldn't want to take away from anybody. 
but the but the what it does is it creates this hyper focus on on the NBA as like my ticket for a career essentially. And because of our society being so screwed up around race, we give this message as a society and actually oppress actual you know actions upon with African Americans by not hiring them by uh, you know discriminating against them that they feel like their only way to have a happy life is through the NBA. This is that show I was telling you about on Netflix, Last Chance You. This is based in Mississippi. It's a junior college that basically looks at D1 athletes who got kicked off their teams for behavioral or academic issues, mostly behavioral. And the coach is the biggest narcissist. And he, he and but his claim to fame is rehabbing these players and, and getting them back out there. And he... Um, you watch the the producers do an excellent job because they tell the story of these kids' lives outside of football, which is some pretty tragic situations. You know, parentless, um, foster system, lots of drug culture, you know, just around so many variables that would never allow them to succeed, right? Lots of oppressions. So everything's riding on football. And and it it is predominantly the African American culture in these that we're watching, you know, and it, it's sickening to watch. Right, and and it's the cause is our white supremacy culture mm-hmm. in this country, yeah, and the discrimination against African Americans that not only, you know, practically, uh, in a very practical sense, uh, lowers opportunities for people. But for African Americans, uh, boys and girls too, they internalize this notion of, well, I'll never be a CEO, right? You know how many black CEOs? I'll never be successful in business, right? I'll, you know, my family isn't. I don't, you know, I don't have those role models, right? Where where do I have role models in sports? Yes, and so. Uh, and I'm good at this and that, so this is what I'm going to do. Right. And so the talks that I have with these guys is trying to convince them that, yeah, by all means, continue to play the sport you enjoy, but don't put all your eggs in that basket. Yeah. Let's, let's try to you know widen your opportunities and believe in yourself that you can – If it's going to be harder than a privileged person. Yeah. But you can succeed in school. You mm-hmm. can succeed in a career outside of sports. Right. You can do that. Let's find support. Let's find role models. Let's find that path. Let's inspire to do that. But I'm telling you, it's a freaking uphill battle. Yes. <laughs> yes. Absolutely. <laughs> and and um, and you know, statistically, these guys, you know, at there's a chance they might do well in college, mm-hmm. but as a long term career, it's just it it's just hard to achieve that. And even, add injury to that. Right, exactly. Right? Yeah. It's like even if you are the best NBA player, the best NFL player, mm-hmm. what if you have a career ending uh injury? Absolutely. You know? Yeah. Um there's so many Seahawks players that are having these just horrific injuries. I'm so glad that Lockett jump uh, bounced back mm-hmm. after that. Did you see that yeah. injury to his yeah. leg? Yeah. Oh my yeah. god. Yeah. Talk about ankle ninety degrees. Right. Uh, but you got Rawls, and you got you got all these other people who are just like, oh, what a bummer! They're you know start they're young kids, they're in their twenties, yeah, and 
they've got the rest of their life ahead of them, and and they've done nothing else, mm-hmm. or at least that's my assumption. I mean, maybe, maybe they have all these other interests. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. But but anyway, um, yeah. so yeah, I think that's that's. Uh, I'm really fascinated with that. Um, let me know how that goes in terms of your marketing for your. Career. Are, are you also going to market yourself as a general psychotherapist? Yeah, I I'm I. My other passion is couples therapy, so that's where I, I want to I'm focused on infidelity and um, helping couples. Uh, I'd like to do premarital counseling, non-faith-based. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to narrow in and not, you know, yeah. um, because I don't know what's going to show up. But There's not a huge market for premarital. premarital. Mm-hmm. There, there, I get occasional people who want that. Yeah. But it's not a huge market. Yeah. There's a lot of need for couples therapists, mm-hmm, though. Mm-hmm. Um, f- infidelity being a slice of that pie, but really... The majority of referrals I get are just couples that are fighting a lot, yeah, and are worried about breaking up. Mm-hmm. And so, if you open your door to that, uh, my guess is you'll get a lot of clients in that way, yeah. Um, and uh, and and couples are uh, r- really fun to work with mm-hmm. because for me, seeing success right there in the room, just seeing people bond, seeing people reduce their conflict, seeing people hold hands and turn to each other and um, sometimes even just fall back in love after yes. 30 years of, of yeah. being distant. Um, they start having sex again. You know, it's just like all these wonderful, not in my office, of course. But, well, that's but, good uh, to hear. I don't but, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, and it's so engaging because mm-hmm. there's so many things happening in the office. Um, as I've said in the podcast before, uh, couples therapy is the most counter-transfery situation you can be in. I bet. <laughs> for a number of reasons. Yeah. Um, so, okay, so you're going to focus, are you going to take individual adults too? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, but no no families? I'd like to work with families. Uh, I'm just being more specific in which ways. I, I, I want to work with adolescents. I got on this sort of sports injury bend. I really enjoy that topic. But my internship, I've worked mostly with families. And I just really enjoy teens. Yeah. And so um, that it will definitely be a family practice. I'm also working with my husband uh, who has community care. It's a mental health agency and they provide behavior stabilization. They're expanding services. And so a lot of it's going to mesh with that as well okay. in um, providing family therapy, parenting classes. So a just, little nepotism there for you. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. He's brilliant. So yeah. <laughs> Uh yeah well uh, let me know how that goes I can add you to my list of referrals thank you I, I always uh, need people on that list um I'm really curious how the marketing works out with the sports injury and and sports um, help for families I, yeah I, I'm really curious how that pans out because I could see it being gangbusters and I can also see it being hard to motivate the community to engage in that service even though it's so needed yeah and you know the other concern i have is that um the location of my practice yeah might not be conducive to those communities because right. the you know the clubs that i'm aware of and where sports are played kind of go north seattle or the east side right. you know yeah so that's what i was saying i was like man yeah. if you were in issaquah mm-hmm. or bellevue or redmond, redmond or, yeah uh, you would have a, I would guess, just a lot more yeah. um, population interested in that. Sort but who of knows? Thing. I might need a second office. Yeah. If things go well. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And 
in my experience, if you uh, provide a service that is wanted enough, people are more than happy to travel to West Seattle. Yeah. Um, so I heard someone give some advice though. Uh, Paul David. Okay. Um, I was in the comp four class kind of checking out and, uh, he said, um, checking out of the program. I mean, not of the class. <laughs> yeah. I was like, checking <laughs> sorry, Paul. Um, and he said, uh, be careful about, um, taking people who live far away because uh. with Seattle traffic, you know, it's great the first month. And then after that, they start going through that slog and it gets harder and harder to keep them, you know? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, but in my experience, I mean, I, I've moved around my office uh-huh. and every time I move, there's a certain percentage of people that benefit from that and a certain percentage of people who don't. Okay. And I find that if people want you and like you enough, they're willing to travel. Well, that's Yeah, that so, makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Uh, again, especially if you are the only therapist or one of a handful of therapists in the state mm-hmm. who even does this service and knows about it. Yeah. Then definitely people, you know, the amount of travel that these families do for sports alone. Very true. <laughs> Very true. Right. Yeah. So, so uh, yeah. anyway, I, I'd be yeah. curious as to, to, plus there's a S ton of, of families with sports focused kids in West Seattle alone. Yeah. Uh, in uh, Renton mm-hmm. area, uh, the Beacon Hill area, Mount uh, Baker area. Um, but there's there's just so many more suburban families in the east side. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah. And Agreed. Richer, I suppose it's, I guess West Seattle's pretty rich too. But it's mostly older people, right? It's li- no, no, it's a mix. I mean, West Seattle's changed quite a bit, um, but it's also a four mile long area. Yeah. So you have a lot of different communities in West Seattle. You know? Right. You got the super rich people on the, on the view side. Mm-hmm. And then you have a uh, lower middle class on the Del Ridge side, mm-hmm. right? And then, but that, even that's changing. Like, oh, really? yeah, it, like the actual Dell of the Ridge, yeah. you're seeing more in and up into Pigeon Point, more and more people who work at Amazon and yeah. um, working a lot of the tech uh, companies moved into that area because it's the most affordable and close to Seattle under Seattle's terms of affordability, right? right? Yeah, yeah, still not <laughs> affordable. No, not even close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, you know, top of top of West Seattle, you're looking at at least like a million dollars for a well, house. Well, down the water, yeah, you're almost double that. Yeah. 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 Well, so th- any final words on this, Yolanda? That no, I, I just really it, appreciate you talking to me about it and having me on as a guest because the more I talk about it, the more it's sparking the ideas of where I think this could go and yeah. who I need to talk to. Yeah. Like I said, I, I love learning from other people and hearing about even the marketing piece. You know, who do I need to go out and talk to about who would have ideas about that as well that are not in the therapy community of how they market what they do, you know? Yeah. Um, but no, I, yeah, I just appreciate it. Thank you. Well, if I'm still around in a couple of years, maybe you could come back and give us an update on that. I'd love to. Yeah, I'd love to. All right. Well, that does it for that episode of Psychology in Seattle. Thanks for joining us out there. Please take care of yourself, even if you get injured, because you deserve it. 